0: Happening, a good Thursday to all of you. Thanks for joining me as always. It is much appreciated. I have a lot to get off my chest today, and I could not wait to start this podcast on this Thursday because of the stuff that I have heard over the last 24 hours. Bill Belichick left about three weeks ago. Okay, the Patriots parted ways, but Belichick about three weeks ago, and there's lots of new going on, and I understand with lots of new. There could be some hesitation. There's unpredictability. And people, frankly, some of them, they get scared by the unknown. They get scared by something new. And for almost a quarter of a century, we had one guy running this organization in one particular way. But some of this criticism is just so heavy that I find it borderline comical. Some of the criticism I find to be disingenuous. And look, I'm not saying you can't pass judgment on what's been done so far. Of course you can. Individual decisions, right? Who you decided to bring in as the head coach, the process, the defensive coordinator, the promotion of Demarcus Covington, the special teams coordinator, the offensive coordinator search, all of these things, you absolutely, no doubt, can like, hate, dislike, love, whatever you want to do. You can judge, and I judge, individual decisions and things that happen as they happen. But to look at this in totality, to look at this off season on February 1st and frame this as an absolute disaster is to me, a huge reach from 30,000 feet, looking at the end game to call this anything, a success, a disaster I think is a reach. I don't think you can judge an off season By February 1st, I think that's madness. We're six weeks away from free agency. We are three months away from the NFL draft. And you're telling me already that this offseason is a miss. There's a lot of overreacting. And when you think about things realistically, it might actually change your viewpoint. I'm going to go through a lot of these decisions and I'm going to go through the decisions that have yet been made and we'll look at these. And we'll rank them. We'll say, okay, was that good? Was that bad? Was it indifferent? That's what I'm going to do today with all of you, okay? That's the plan. So my first question is, and I asked this question on Twitter slash X last night of somebody, do you judge a movie after five minutes? Have you judged a movie after five minutes? If you have, I think that's completely unfair to the movie. Completely unfair to the person who wrote the script, the actors, everybody involved. And the reality is, we are five minutes into this movie of an offseason. That's what we are. When you're talking six weeks away from free agency, three months away from the NFL draft, we're about five to ten minutes into this movie. So I don't know how you could judge the movie after five to ten minutes. So let's break this down. Let's start with Gerard Mayo. Gerard Mayo is the head coach. Look, I've talked about this. You can listen to prior podcasts. I was not a fan of the process. I was not a fan of not going out and talking to multiple people about the head coaching job. I was not in love with the idea of the succession plan that was written into the contract. I thought that put the Crafts in a corner. I think it put the organization in a very, very tough position through 2023 and when looking at who would be the next head coach of this organization. I did not like the process. I did not like the succession plan. I just didn't like it. You can think about the succession plan. You can plan on that being the succession of Bill Belichick and how that's going to go. But when you write it down on paper, you are taking it to the next level. And it's rather obvious that nobody in the room said, hey, what if we absolutely stink in 2023? How is that going to work out? So the process didn't like it. But with all of that said, Gerard Mayo is not guaranteed to fail. We have no idea how Gerard Mayo is going to do as a head coach. He could be spectacular. He could absolutely stink. But if anybody is telling you, that they know with 100% certainty who Gerard Mayo is going to be as a head coach and how successful or not successful he's going to be. They're full of it because nobody knows. Nobody has a freaking clue. Secondly, young offensive guy. I wanted a young offensive mind. Who? I have no issue with you saying I want a young offensive mind, somebody who could build this offense from scratch, work with the new quarterback. The offense is obviously the weak link of this football team. They should have addressed it by bringing somebody in who works with the offense. It could be the head coach slash offensive coordinator. I have no issue with that thought process before these head searches, these head coach searches began. Because what I would ask you right now is, if you were dying and clamoring for a young offensive mind, And you got Gerard Mayo instead. Then tell me the offensive mind that you would want over Mayo. Tell me the guy that you would want over Mayo right now. Young offensive coaches. Was anybody screaming for Dave Canales? How many people do you think in Boston, in New England, media and fans, how many of those people do you actually believe knew who Dave Canales was? Did anybody have a clue who this guy was? I knew. I knew, but it's my job to know how many people, even in the Boston media, knew of Dave Canales. What would you say? 15%, 20% was anybody at the tail end of 2023 season, as we knew Bill Belichick was going to go away, and we knew that Gerard Mayo was the likely successor and was going to be the head coach. Was anybody at that time clamoring, screaming for Dave Canales, a guy who spent one year as an offensive coordinator in Tampa? Was anybody saying, go out and get that guy? Were the people who were screaming for a young offensive mind to be the next head coach, were they screaming about Dave Canales? Or were they screaming about Bobby Slowick, who stayed in Houston? Or were they screaming about Ben Johnson, who stayed in Detroit? Let's look at this realistically. Because we can have all sorts of delusions of grandeur and say, oh, they could have went out and got Bobby Slowick. No, he went back to Houston, folks. Ben Johnson went back to Detroit. So when we talk about young offensive names, there were two guys who were hired during this hiring cycle. Dave Canales, which I am confident that 80%, at least 80% of the Boston media had no clue who that guy was. And about 3% of the fans knew who he was. And the other guy was Brian Callahan, who was signed by the Tennessee Titans to take over for Mike Vrabel. Was anybody clamoring for Brian Callahan to be the next head coach of the New England Patriots? Was anybody talking about Brian Callahan being this shiny new toy who could be the next great head coach in the league? Was anybody saying, oh, Sean McVay and Mike McDaniel, you can go out there and get Dave Canales and Brian Callahan, baby. Was anybody saying that? Brian Callahan has never called offensive plays. He worked with a team that has Joe Burrow as the as the QB1 and Zach Taylor as the head coach who has the play-calling experience. So those were the offensive guys that have been hired. So don't talk to me about wanting this young, great offensive coach because the young, great offensive coaches that we were talking about before this offseason, they did not come to fruition. They stayed where they were. And me personally, I'm not going to sit here and argue that Dave Canales is a better hire than Gerard Mayo. I'm not going to sit here and argue that Brian Callahan is a better hire than Mayo. Would anybody make that argument right now? So how about the other hirings that were made? Seattle. Do you think anybody was taking it to the streets, yelling about Mike McDonald being the next great thing here in New England? If you're going to hire a young gun defensive coordinator or somebody that's worked with the defense, then why would you not hire Gerard Mayo, who's had, what, a five-year job interview as a coach here in New England? Was anybody going bananas for Mike McDonald here in New England? How about Atlanta? Raheem Morris. Raheem Morris with the overall record as a head coach of 21 and 38. Did anybody want Raheem Morris, the defensive guy with the terrible career record as a head coach? Did anybody want the zero in Washington right now? Everybody wanted Adam Peters. And I talked about Adam Peters, right? He was no doubt the name As far as next GM, director of player personnel, everybody was talking about Adam Peters. Who is Peters' head coach right now? Oh, nobody yet. Washington has not even hired a head coach. It might happen in the next 10 minutes. But have you heard the names? This morning, Ian Rappaport talked about Dan Quinn and Anthony Weaver. How many of you know who Anthony Weaver is? I had no clue who the hell Anthony Weaver was until this morning. No idea. No idea. I had I, I had no clue who Anthony Weaver was. Apparently, a defensive line coach. And as I say it, Jeff Howe just reported that Dan Quinn lands with the commanders. So were any of you sitting back going, oh, yeah, give me Dan Quinn. Give me Mike McDonald. Give me Raheem Morris. Give me Dave Canales. Give me Brian Callahan. Was anybody mentioning those names? If I told you three weeks ago that you could have Mayo or any of those guys, would you be sitting here saying, oh, man, we got to go out and get that guy? I don't think you would be. There's one hire in this hiring cycle, one hire, that people would sit back and say, oh, that's it, man, that's it. And that would be Jim Harbaugh. Do you think Jim Harbaugh would come to New England over L.A.? The Chargers are the better job. It's the better gig. They have Justin Herbert. You have quarterback X. Not only that, you've got to mention the fact that Harbaugh has a short-term history in the NFL. He usually doesn't hang around very often. Now, he hung around in Michigan for a while, but he wanted out of Michigan the last four or five years. He was always looking for the next job. So if you're the Patriots, do you want to bring somebody in who could be here for two or three years? And let's not forget that Harbaugh, you know, he wants to pretty much run the organization and be the guy. The only, only head coach candidate out there that to me was realistic and I would have chosen over Mayo would be Mike Vrabel. That was the only guy. Vrabel's the only guy I would take over Mayo. And that's if he didn't want full control, which you have to wonder about. And honestly, As much as I would want Mike Vrabel, Vrabel hasn't been hired, and he's not going to be hired. Vrabel did not get a head coaching job this offseason. So that must tell you something, right? I'm not telling you he would not be a good head coach. Again, I would have picked Vrabel over Mayo. But Mike Vrabel right now is unemployed. So what I think and what the NFL thinks are two different things. So when you sit back and you scream about the head coach, didn't like the process, but honestly, who got hired that was a realistic option for you that you would take over Gerard Mayo? Outside of Mike Vrabel, I can't come up with a name. I can't give you a name. Demarcus Covington. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, all right? Look, Demarcus Covington was a qualified candidate. He was promoted. It allows continuity on the defensive staff. I don't think anybody has much of an issue with Demarcus Covington. So we'll just skip through that one. Jeremy Springer, the new special teams coordinator. Here's my rule. If you could not give me a name of an OC candidate three weeks ago, if you could not give me more than one name of an OC candidate three weeks ago, I have no time for you bitching about the special teams coordinator. Because if if you didn't know who could be the next offensive coordinator and you couldn't give me a name or two and you were relying on other people to give you names, then there's no way on God's green earth that you knew who these special teams coordinators guys were out there, right? Who the next guy was. Are you seriously sitting down and breaking down special teams coordinators and assistant coaches throughout the NFL? Nobody was doing that. Nobody was doing it. We don't know anything about Jeremy Springer. And this idea of like, oh, the Rams were in last place last year, DVOA and special teams. We went through that yesterday. How much? How much do you think that falls on Jeremy Springer, who was an assistant special teams coach? Or does it fall on the people that are actually playing the game and the person who is actually running the special teams and Chase Blackburn? We got on Bill Belichick. Not because the special teams were bad, or at least not just because the special teams were bad. The criticism about the special teams over the past couple of years is the amount of assets and resources that you put towards that phase, and you were horrible. Fact, that's what the complaint was. The complaint was having six or seven guys devoted to the coverage teams on your roster when your wide receiver core was thin. Well, you had to run out and sign Ezekiel Elliott last second to help the running back room. The fact that you moved up in the fourth round of draft, a kicker who sucked this year. Those were the criticisms. And we're going to sit here and go crazy about Jeremy Springer. It, that's disingenuous. All right, i have more thoughts in a minute. But for first, don't forget to give us that like. Thumbs up. Every thumbs up means the world to me. Let's get these views up today on this Thursday. Talking Patriots. Hopefully slide in some Bruins a little bit later. Give us that thumbs up on YouTube if you're watching. Again, every thumb means a lot. Every like means more eyeballs. Do not forget to comment. Do not forget to subscribe as well. Trying to get to 1,750 subscriptions by Valentine's Day. We're at about 1.68. So we're getting close. Less than 100 to go. And if you're listening on Spotify and Apple Pods, rate and review. All right, let's throw in some comments before I continue with more thoughts on this. Uh, Let's go to, uh, hi, well done, Nick. I am following you from Japan, Italy, or Romania. Does that mean you bounce around through those three spots or you want me to guess where you're you're joining us from? Where do you think Mahai is uh, joining us from today? Japan, Italy, or Romania? I'm going to go with Italy. Big fan of the Boston teams. I appreciate you. Thanks for jumping in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's go to uh, John Christian, who says, there seems to be too much overreaction considering, like you said, how everyone was used to 24 years of Belichick. And and that goes to not only some of these moves, it goes into the media stuff, how Gerard Mayo has handled the media and what he said, how people freaked out about when he said we're going to draft a a player at a very important position and people were running around like their house was on fire when he pretty much said nothing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. VR email, I think the league is becoming diluted, both with inexperienced coaching and talent. You know, this is a great point. And really, when you look at this league, I've said this for a number of years, the coaching really isn't that good. You have like three to five coaches that you look at and say, that guy is really good. But a lot of these coaches are not good. I mean, Dan Campbell got to the NFC Championship game. I would not say that Dan Campbell is a great coach. He's not an in-game strategist, right? He's not great with clock management. He screwed up the clock three or four times in the playoffs. Kyle Shanahan is seen as a really good coach, but even he has screwed up clock management and game management. People will say that Pete Carroll is one of the best coaches in football, and we all know what happened in the Super Bowl. So there's just not a lot of great coaches. Very difficult to find those guys. All right, let's get back. So no general manager. That's the other issue people have. No GM. Where's the GM? You've got to hire a GM. Let's go back to what Robert Kraft said during the introductory press conference of Mayo. He said, number one, that someone will have that job before key decisions have to be made. I took that as free agency in March. So Kraft said there will be somebody in that spot before the key decisions are made. If there's not somebody in that spot, then Robert Kraft should get blasted and I'll be first in line to criticize him about that. But until key decisions are made, I'm I'm not going to sit here and pass judgment on, oh, no GM has been named because, again, Kraft said something will be done before those key decisions are made. That's the timeline he gave us. If he goes past past that timeline with nobody, then I got a bone to pick. He also said that you know we're going to know who that person is. If we don't know who the person is making these decisions when we get closer to free agency, when we get to, I don't know, mid February, yes, I'm going to have concern and I'm going to roast Robert Kraft, ownership, and Mayo for not having somebody in that position of leadership in the front office to be ready to get going with free agency and the draft. But I'm going by the timeline. He told us. Also, Elliot Wolf is qualified. Elliot Wolf is qualified. He's back here in New England with Mayo. He's going through the interview process with the offensive coordinator candidates. I would say that tells us that Elliot Wolf is acting as the GM. He is acting as the number one guy. Matt Groh is down in Alabama running the scout team and scout department, looking at the senior bowl prospects, while back here, the bigger organizational things are being done by Elliot Wolf. So, who's the GM? Elliot Wolf is the GM right now. They haven't come out and said it. They haven't had a parade. They haven't told the media straight up that Elliot Wolf's the guy. But right now, Elliot Wolf is a qualified front office executive who everybody that I've spoken to thinks highly of on the record and off the record. And so, if that guy is running the shop right now with Mayo, then really what is the issue? The issue is that they haven't publicly stated that. What if they publicly state that two weeks from now? Does it make a difference? I just want to know that somebody's there running the ship. And the fact that Wolf is working with Mayo hand in hand with these interviews and going through everything else with the head coach tells me that Wolf is the guy right now. So who's the GM? I would say Wolf. Wolf and Mayo are running the football side of this right now. That's what I would say. Does it matter if it's said now or in the middle of February? Does it matter if it is said now until late February? If somebody is doing the job, they're doing the work, that's what matters. I don't think people are sitting on their ass at Gillette Stadium going, oh man, what's going to happen when free agency begins? I don't know. I have no idea. Do you think that's happening? You know, People are are acting as if the Crafts didn't select Bill Belichick as the head coach twenty plus years ago, or didn't pick Pete Carroll well beforehand before he became this likely Hall of Fame coach. The, the Crafts have run the operation well enough to win a lot of football games, so I think they understand that somebody has to make these decisions. In the front office, along with Mayo, as far as personnel. I'm pretty sure they understand that, folks. I don't think they're sitting there playing solitaire. That's just me, though. Now, the offensive coordinator position, it's not desirable. And if you have a problem with that, you know who you blame? You blame Bill Belichick because he had the final say on personnel over the last 20 plus years. And the fact that this Offensive coordinator position isn't sexy is because look around. You don't have a QB one right now. Your offensive line has no tackles. You don't have a single tight end on the roster that's signed for 2024. The fact is that Mayo and the crafts and everybody with this organization, they inherited a mess. And it's not easy to clean up somebody else's mess within three weeks. Didn't we want the Patriots to cast a wide net? You know, the same people who are complaining about the head coaching process and saying, oh, man, the Patriots didn't interview anybody. Talk to as many people as you can. Some of those people are talking out the other side of their mouth, complaining about how many people have been interviewed for the offensive coordinator position and how wide of a net has been cast and how long this has taken. Do you want a thorough process? Do you want lots of interviews or do you want something that just whoop goes right through? You were mad when Mayo went whoop right through and you're mad with a thorough process for the O.C. search. You can't have it both ways. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. to speak to outside people when it comes to offense? Is he not speaking to a ton of people outside of the building? Isn't that what we wanted? Isn't that what we asked for? But yet now we're mad or some people are mad. Why? Oh, well, Nick, you know, they didn't get to hire a big fish. Zach Robinson, who was seen as the big fish by many, went to Atlanta. We discussed it. He has history with Raheem Moores. That's how these things work. Relationships matter. So Robinson went to Atlanta. That's not an indictment on Gerard Mayo or how this search is being run. Dan Pitcher stayed in Cincinnati to work with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, a place where he's worked for the last several years with Zach Taylor. He knows exactly what to expect from the organization. He knows that offense is going to be very good. And he knows that the guy that just had the offensive coordinator position was Brian Callahan, who just got a head coaching gig in Tennessee, even though he never called a single play in his life. So why would Dan Pitcher make the leap to New England? Shane Waldron knows the Bears have the number one pick. He knows they have D.J. Moore. He knows they have a pretty good offensive line. He understands what the process and what they're doing in Chicago. There are a lot of unknowns here in New England. We don't even know the structure. We don't know who's going to get hired, and we don't know the structure. Is there going to be a wise man on offense? We don't know. We've heard that the plan is to bring in somebody who has experience on the offensive side to help guide the young play caller, if it is a young play caller. So we don't know the structure. We don't know who's going to be here to help that person, but yet we're passing judgment already on everything. You know what matters in the offseason? Talent. What we should be most concerned about, really, is will this team land a franchise quarterback? If you tell me four months from now that they drafted a young quarterback who has the potential to be the franchise queue for the next 10 to 15 years, that they landed a, a really talented wide receiver and built up this wide receiver room a little bit, and that they started to settle the offensive line, to me, that's a successful offseason. It's way too early. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you want your uh, comment to be read or question to be read, you want to jump the line, you can send a super chat. Always appreciate the super chats. Fergie, my issue, Nick, is that the crafts knew this season was going to end poorly and ideas uh and ideas and potential coaches and new hires should have been already planned out. Instead, talents are going everywhere else. All right, so here's what I would say about that. Whether you like it or not, the crafts wanted Gerard Mayo. And again, I just went through the list of names who are head coaches that have been hired in this cycle. The only guy to me that got hired that would have been a sexier option so to speak than Mayo was Jim Harbaugh. I don't think Jim Harbaugh picks New England over LA. And I'm not even sold that Harbaugh would have been perfect for this program because he's very polarizing. He wants to run the show the way he runs the show. He has a heavy say in personnel. You'd have to overturn a bunch it, it, I just, I don't think that he was the greatest fit given the circumstances. And I don't think Harbaugh wants to go rebuild the situation. He's going to LA because he knows that LA has Justin Herbert and he has a chance to win football games right away. And he's getting paid 16 million a year, reportedly. As far as the coaches, as soon as you hired Mayo, this is what was going to happen. Again, Mayo has talked to every offensive coordinator that people have talked about. For the most part, Eric B is not getting any interviews. He's stuck in Washington right now. Cliff Kingsbury is seen as somebody who's probably going to be a head coach within the next 12 months. And people were concerned about flight risks. So this narrative that the Patriots have just lost out on all of these talented guys, I, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't think they lost out. It takes two to tango. You can want anybody in the world. It doesn't mean you're going to get them. Dan Pitcher, again, we went through it. Zach Robinson, Shane Waldron, they all have their reasons why they decided to go somewhere else other than New England. And all of those reasons are logical. They are tangible. Many of them are full of common sense. So this process, yes, it's been long, but I don't think you missed out on anybody. When you look at the entire picture, Speaking of the O.C., let's get to the latest here. I'm running long. I apologize. It all worked up. Andrew Callahan wrote about uh, Nick Cayley last night at the Boston Herald. Nick Cayley is the first finalist for the O.C. job. Uh, First finalist. What does that mean? Will there be others? Well, Callahan was on Boston Sports tonight, last night, and he said this, quote, he's closer to getting that job than anyone, unquote. So we've known Nick Cayley has been the leader to be the next O.C., for what, the last week or so? My question is, why isn't the, he the OC yet then? Now, again, he, he he might end up being that guy. That's what a lot of people think. But why has Kaylee not been named the OC? It's been a week. Is that because other people are involved? We don't know what we don't know. Back to Callahan uh Kaylee 41 could also be in line for a promotion with the Rams. I think that's leverage from Kaylee's side trying to force the Patriots to make a decision here and say, "Hey, look, you know, if he if you don't get him, you know, if you if you don't make this move right now, he could go back to LA." I don't think that Kaylee is jumping at the opportunity. I could be wrong. To, you know, be Sean McVay's OC and not call plays if he has the chance to call plays here. I, I don't know if you take a second interview if you were hung up on the idea of working with McVay next season, right? You would pull out of, you know, you pull your name out of the, the situation here because you'd say, no, I want to go to LA. I'm fine in LA. And I'll, I'll learn under McVeigh. Callahan writes it's unclear how the Patriots offensive staff could take shape under Kaylee who has never called plays or coached quarterbacks at the NFL level. We talked about this. Luke Getzey has a uh, relationship with Nick Kaylee. Getzee has worked with quarterbacks. Could we see a situation play out where Kaylee is the offensive coordinator and Getzee is the quarterback's coach? We absolutely could. Could we see a situation that Josh, Josh McDaniels is here? Possibly. Possibly. Callahan writes, last season, Kaylee contributed to a surprise playoff run with the Rams. He helped evolve the Rams' offensive system under McVay, who hired multiple outside assistants to rejuvenate what had been a bottom 10 offense in 2022. This season, LA finished in the top 10 by points scored and the opponent in situation-adjusted metric DVOA. Look, Kaylee was likely a small factor. I'm not going to sit here and say that Kaylee went to LA and he helped change the offense and, You know, and, and was the guy, but he helped. And the Rams have similarities in their run game. If you look at what they do versus what the Patriots have done, downhill running, duo blocking, all of those things. McVeigh changed his offense over the last year or two, and he runs the ball in a similar way. Not as many of those wide zone reads and stuff like that. He runs a lot of downhill stuff like the Patriots do. So it would make sense that Nick Cayley, who was tight ends coach here for a number of years, went to LA and helped with the run schemes. I would absolutely believe that. Callahan mentions, you know, Robinson and Waldron and pitcher says they were seen as three of the top coaches on the market. Kaylee did not have another known interview for an OC job this cycle. Now, Kaylee not getting interviews elsewhere could be a red flag. Could be an absolute red flag. No doubt about that. You could sit there and say, oh, man, he's he's not getting any interviews. I would say that Kaylee has had interviews in prior years for OC jobs. So I, I don't think we completely write him off and say, oh, he's seen as somebody that's not ready. It's who has those positions. Do they already know who their head coach is going to be? Again, we talk about relationships. They matter. You know, Kaylee's been stuck in New England for most of his career, so he doesn't have a huge network of people. So that's also an indication of that. My thoughts on the OC thing and Kaylee, Josh McDaniels on the surface would be a way better choice than Nick Kaylee, but there are extenuating circumstances with Josh McDaniels. Number one, do you want to move away from the scheme that you've been running for over 20 years? If you want to move away from the scheme and McDaniels doesn't want to move away from that scheme, then McDaniels doesn't make sense. The systems don't match up, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is McDaniels has been known as a Bill Belichick loyalist. Do you want a Belichick loyalist on the staff? Could that get funky with Mayo? We also have to understand that McDaniels is a former head coach. You know, do you want a possible power struggle at times? If there's a big offensive play to be called and Mayo wants one thing to happen and McDaniels wants another thing to happen is McDaniels going to stand there and battle with Mayo because he could look at it and say, I've been a head coach in two different places. I've been a coordinator for years. With all due respect, Gerard. I've got more experience here. Let me call this play. And, and could that cause some friction? So on the surface, McDaniels makes a lot of sense. But when you start to look underneath that surface, there are issues that could cause major problems in year one for a rookie head coach in Mayo. Now, if it is Kaylee, couple things. You absolutely need a quarterback's coach with experience. You cannot have Kaylee be your QB coach. You need somebody to handle and develop the quarterback that has handled and developed quarterbacks in the past. That's what you need. You can't put too much on this guy's plate. That's number one. Number two, I would like an experienced play caller on the staff. And if you bring in Luke Getze, he checks both of those boxes. He's worked as a quarterback's coach, and he has been an offensive coordinator in the past. So when you look at it, it would make sense if Getsy and Kaylee are the guys. They know each other. They have a relationship. And what Kaylee needs, Getze brings. Experience in play calling, even though he didn't do a great job of it in Chicago, he has experience in play calling, and he has experience working with quarterbacks. And you need a very good offensive line coach. And I don't know who that's going to be, but I want them to bring in somebody that has experience and is a legitimate, bona fide offensive line coach. If you tell me that you have a bona fide offensive line coach to go along with a good quarterback's coach with experience and somebody who has called plays before on this offensive staff to help guide Kaylee when he needs the guidance, then I could see that happen and work. If you're telling me that this is Nick Kaylee coming in and he's handling the quarterback and your offensive line coach is a newbie and all these other things, then I'm not happy about that. You can't have all new across the board on the offensive staff. You have to have somebody that has some experience. All right, we'll get to uh, the Bruins in a minute. couple of your chats here. Great show as usual. Only thing I care about is the Patriots get an OC from the Shanahan McVay or Reed tree. They do that. I'm willing to give it a shot. The interesting part is if they, if they hire Nick Caley as the guy, we don't know what that system is going to look like. Getze, you know, his experience, his history. Is with that Lafleur slash Shanahan system. Meanwhile, Getsy I mean, meanwhile, uh, Kaylee, he's had the experience a bunch with the with the Patriots and that offense. But he had one year with McVay's offense. So would this be a Getsy slash Kaylee brainchild, so to speak, when they combine all of the offense that they've worked with and try to create something that makes a lot of sense? And that is malleable. Because remember, Mayo talked about game plans and being a game plan team. Still, he wants to do that. So we don't know. If Getsy comes in, we don't know if he's going to lean towards the McVay system, if he's going to lean towards the Patriots system, if if Getzee's going to come in and they're going to actually go with more Shanahan slash McVay because of Getsy's experience. We don't know. Those questions will have to be answered at press conferences when the hire is made. Cody Wood says, Vrabel didn't have control in Tennessee, wanted to keep A.J. Brown and told, no, that is correct. Cody's correct on that. But, Cody, the idea is that Rand Carthon came in. Vrabel and Carthon didn't necessarily see eye to eye. Vrabel wanted more say in personnel, and that was not going to happen because Carthon was going to be that guy. Non-elites. think it's interesting how many defensive head coach hirings this offseason have happened since everyone wants offensive head coaches. Non-elites, we actually talked about this weeks ago. Ted Wynn from The Athletic wrote about the idea that there could be more defensive coaches this year because defenses are starting to catch up slightly to offenses and that some of the more desirable names were actually on the defensive side instead of the offensive side. But a lot of people didn't want to talk about that. They wanted to throw out the generic young offensive guy to run the team. If it was Slowick, he stayed. If you're talking about Ben Johnson, he stayed. Amstel 54, Nick Cattle's a leader of men. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, let's do uh let's do some quick. Hold on, let's go to Mike. And here getting sick of that they're moving too fast. They're not acting fast enough commentary right there with you, Nick. Just get the right people. Just get the right people. And again, if if you tell me, oh, this is my alternative plan that was realistic, that would be much better than what's going on. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to listen. But it has to be realistic. Bobby Slowick with Mayo as defensive coordinator, wasn't going to happen. Don't forget to like. Give us that thumbs up. I haven't said that a lot today. Thumbs up. All the thumbs up means the world to me. And, of course, we'll build the traffic. More thumbs means more eyeballs. Uh, Don't forget to comment, as many of you have. More comments helps the interaction. And subscribe. Looking for 1,750 subscriptions by Valentine's Day. If you haven't subscribed yet, why not? I think we have a good conversation here. We can agree. We can disagree. We talk about it and we be about it. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. All right, quickly. Bruins on their all-star break. They're back Tuesday against Calgary. They're first in the Eastern Conference with 71 points. Kevin Paul DuPont posted this the other day. Uh, the Boston one two centers. Bergeron, Krejci last year combined for 114 points last season. At the all-star break. Coyle and Zaka are on pace for 129 points. Look, there's been lots and lots of contributors to this Bruins' success that we did not necessarily predict. Trent Frederick is three points away from his career high. He's been great. Charlie Coyle has 42 points. His career high is 56. Coyle is on pace to absolutely smash his record point total throughout his NHL career. Jake DeBrusque has been absolutely on fire. It's been ridiculous. 14 points in his last 16 games. Now, in the prior 16 games, he had five points. So DeBrusque, as we know, can be Jekyll and Hyde. But the last 16 games, DeBrusque has been fantastic. He's been a plus eight as well. The question is, can these guys keep that up? If you don't make an addition, the trading deadline, and look, The Bruins are handling a lot of different things financially, right? They're a little bit handcuffed, and they don't have a ton of great picks, and their farm system is not fantastic. Prospects aren't great. So the question is going to be, can Frederick keep this going? Can Coyle keep this going? Can DeBrusque give you the good DeBrusque more than the bad DeBrusque? And can these guys show up in the biggest games in the biggest moments? Those are the questions. All right, just wanted to slide in some Bruins talk. All right. I appreciate every single one of you. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify and Apple pods, rate and review. We're trying to build this community, build this family, and that's the way we do it. We'll be back tomorrow unless news breaks at 11 a.m. on YouTube, Twitter, slash X, and Facebook. Until then, it's been the Nick Cattle Show.